Hello and welcome to the My Dietitian Journey podcast. I'm your co-host and producer, Adam, with me, of course, Felicia Peraza of Peraza Nutrition, perazanutrition.com, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, also My Dietitian Journey on those social media platforms as well. We're going to be talking about some stuff today, not specific to dietitians, but something that all dietitians seeking to involve themselves in private practice inevitably have to deal with. Most people anyway. What is that? What are we going to talk about today? We are going to talk about imposter syndrome, what it is, and how to manage it. Ah, imposter syndrome. So tell the folks, the good people, what imposter syndrome is. So imposter syndrome is the feeling of being a fraud. So you only succeeded because of luck and not because of your hard work or because of your education or your expertise, but you just got lucky. And so there might be a lot of self-doubt that you're maybe not good enough. And we mentioned private practice, but this can be in any field of dietetics, um, especially if you're like new to a certain job or you might feel that imposter syndrome. You don't know enough to be there and you just by luck happen to be there. And so that's I don't agree with your definition of imposter syndrome. We didn't didn't rehearse this at all, actually. (laughs) We're going in hot here, fresh. Um, It is not just luck. It's also that you fool people into believing that you're an expert. Yes. That was the primary thing for me when I heard about imposter syndrome. It's like you're actually actively tricking people into thinking that you know more about what you know, not that you got lucky. I mean, I guess that's part of it too. Like it's either, it's usually either one or the other, I guess. But my experience of it when I was in management and people would move up and become more important and influential, they would think they would have themselves convinced I'm literally just pulling the wool over everyone's eyes. I'm fooling everyone into thinking I know what I'm talking about when I actually don't. And this is an act. Apparently, I think I'm actually, you know, not meant to be here, which is what the imposter syndrome thing comes from. Yeah. I think luck, maybe, yeah, you could get lucky. Yeah, that could maybe be part of it. But for me, it was always the feeling that you were fooling everyone and that you weren't actually, you don't really belong where you are. Yeah. Or like people think, um, I mean, I've, I've experienced this too, where, you know, the you're over-preparing for one thing and it's not because you have all this experience or knowledge, but because you over-prepared. And so if you don't do that every time, you are an imposter. <laughs> so, were you over prepared for something? And if you under prepare for something else, then you're doing it wrong. Yeah, like you you won't get that same level of like expertise if you don't prepare to that level anymore. But we'll we'll talk about that. I right? guess for like if you're working on a project and you go all out, all out for that one project, now that's the standard. You have to go all out for everything, and if you don't, you're it's not good enough, and you don't have a right to be experiencing the accolades or the success that you have. If you don't do that every time, if you don't go 100% on everything like you did with that one thing. Yes. Okay. Exactly. So what do we want to get into here on the specifics? Um, so I want to talk a little bit about the like some examples of what imposter syndrome might feel like or look like in that cycle of imposter syndrome too. Um, so we could probably start with maybe like an example, um, which I can give an example of that. Specific to dietetics from your experience? Yeah. So like just recently... I was asked to present on a topic, um, actually it was sleep and nutrition, and it is an area that I researched quite a bit, and I got this like initial feeling of excitement, like I'm excited to present on this topic, it's something that I, you know, researched a lot, but also talk a lot about with clients, but then there was a feeling of like doubt and, you know, the imposter syndrome, like I don't know enough, I'm not qualified enough to talk about this, you know, who am I to really talk on this topic, you know, I shouldn't be, and and that... I didn't have enough experience and, and whatnot to even talk about it. And then, you know, that leads to, for me, a lot 
like over preparing for things. So I like go way too deep on everything that I'm going to research because otherwise they'll know that I don't know enough. And that's just kind of like the negativity. Um, and so one of the things that, you know, I try to actively work on myself, which is hard, is trying not to over prepare um, and taking positive feedback because that's something often with imposter syndrome that you might experience is you get positive feedback about like a webinar you might have run and you might just disregard it. Can you talk more about the over-preparing thing? Because I'm having trouble following what you mean by that. Yeah. So like for me, and this is something that I hear actually from other dietitians too for like webinars is you have like a base knowledge of like what sleep is, like why nutrition is important, things that you've learned about in your undergrad and, you know, through your internship and just actively working with clients, especially with like nutrition and behaviors. But then there's a difference between like late, like looking at the latest research for nutrition and sleep. Like that's obvious, you know, that you want to make sure you're getting the most up-to-date information, but like spending hours, like more than maybe what's reasonable to get to, you know, a, a good presentation that it has to be way more involved. So so in these presentations, do you take questions from an audience or a group of people that you're presenting to? Yes. And I guess maybe you're also one of your biggest concerns is someone asking you a question you don't know the answer to? Yes. So you're over-preparing to try to hedge your bets against getting a question to which you do not know the answer? Exactly. Which is especially concerning for you in that instance because you're being perceived as an authority on this topic. And if you don't have all the answers at your fingertips, maybe you would think saying, I don't know, is a really bad idea and it would paint you in a negative light. So then you're afraid to say, I don't know. So you just research the crap out of the thing to try to make it so that you don't not know anything. Yes. Which is impossible, (laughs) basically. Well, yeah. I mean, you're you're never going to know exactly everything about anything. And that's for that presentation, it was like 30 minute top. It was a 30 minute session. And my outline was like 15 pages because I was like, these are the topics people might ask about. And Instead of, and I catch myself in this sometimes after the fact, but instead of, you know, saying like, oh, I'm, that's not something that I looked into, you know, but I can follow up with you and let you know, which can be a more than acceptable answer. (laughs) Well, that's the best answer is I don't know, but I'll find out and I'll get back to you. But being able to say, I don't know is a massive thing. And that's a huge step in the right direction with dealing with imposter syndrome is being okay with admitting that you don't know everything, Mm -hmm. you know, that's a big deal. Yeah. I have an example of imposter syndrome that I kind of knew what imposter syndrome was and knew I was feeling it. So that's kind of the power of knowing what it is. When I got promoted from uh, one managerial position to another where I inherited a lot more responsibility and was the only manager on site for that department. So basically I was the department head. I was woefully unprepared and I knew that, but at the time I was the right person for the job. So when I got it and I was thinking, all right, I know what imposter syndrome is. I'm feeling it right now. And what I did was I embraced it and like made it known that that's how I felt to my staff and my team. Like, I don't know a lot, but I'm here to help and help things run. And in that environment, what it kind of wound up doing was it, it, I think it humanized me in the eyes of the staff that Mm -hmm. I was managing. And it, um, it helped, it seemed to help them communicate on an equal level with me and it made them trust me more. And, um, I think that was part of my success in that position. 
And, you know, I'm not saying that you should do that if you're presenting on a topic as an authority, but I think if you're in that situation as a dietitian with a class of people, a group of clients, say you're running a group project and it's like or a group, you know, seminar or like a class and it's something that like it's your first one, I think telling them, this is my first one of these. I'm going in a little bit blind here. I thank you all for being here. It's a bit of an experiment. You're my guinea pigs. Like you can make it a joke <laughs> and a funny thing and then yeah. they're in on it with you. That's so, true. So, you know, if you mm-hmm. position yourself to be this ivory tower authority on things, people are, it's a little off-putting. Yeah. And if you t- communicate openly that, you know, you're you're feeling a little bit like this, a lot of times people will step up and help you. That certainly was my experience with my staff. They they were my champions. They 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 championed me and helped me so much. And it was a lot of the reason why I got through that tough of a time with that job. And I could see that going really well with a group setting like that. Yeah, it, you know, it's funny because when you just said that, it reminded me of my first semester teaching where I like, had a textbook and I was starting like two days before class started. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I've taught seminars, but I've never taught like, you know, a semester and college students. And so I like my first couple of days, I was like, I don't have an email address. I don't have, you know, I'm just, I'm new. This is, and they were, at first I was like, oh God, is that going to make me look unprofessional? But it was just like, I was just like, this is the honest truth. This is what's happening. And they appreciated that. And they were actually, my first semester was, my favorite because my students were so, they were just so nice. Like, and they would, you know, things that I like messed up. It was kind of, I don't know, like you mentioned, you kind of build that a different camaraderie, I think. Well, so. well, people are a lot ready to be more forgiving and understanding of you if you are honest about yourself. Mm-hmm. I think people appreciate it when you're genuine and when you put yourself out there and, and you say things and do things that are maybe perceived by you as a risk, but just make you more real about what you're doing. I think the the genuine approach is always more appreciated by the people that you're engaging with. If you're an authority on something or you're a leader in some capacity, making yourself more vulnerable in those early stages is probably to your benefit. Yeah. That said, you don't want to do that all the time. Like five, year, five years later, you can't really do that anymore. <laughs> At some point, you have to become the expert and really have this handled. But, you know, if you're just getting started with something, there's no harm in being honest about it with the people you're working with. Yeah. I don't think. And I think too, you know, with imposter syndrome, it can really like crop it up at any time. Like when I first became a dietitian and then I was working in a, a, a supermarket setting, I used to get, one, I went into it thinking like, I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm afraid people are going to ask me something I don't know. And then people just asked me so many things about things that I just didn't know, like the latest fad diets and just so many things because you're just, you're, you know, working with the public. And so, um, that was something that I had to learn quickly, like, okay, what's the best way to respond? And usually it was something along the lines of, I'm not sure I haven't heard about that, but let me do some research and I'll, you know, catch up with you. And no one said like, oh my God, I thought you would have known, <laughs> like that never happened. Um, but what's funny is, you know, then after a couple of years that kind of went away, but then starting my practice, it kind of comes. So I feel like it come it can come up in like cycle, even if you've been doing been a dietitian for a while if things change. So I think one of the big key things with imposter syndrome is that you are your own worst enemy and no one is thinking about you the way that you're thinking about you. People are all thinking about themselves. Everyone's concerned more about what they're doing than what you're doing. It's kind of like, you know, if you feel like you're the main character in a book about you and that everyone else is critical of what you're doing, 
the thing to think about is the fact that literally everyone is going through the same thing you're going through. Everyone's too wrapped up in their own crap to be concerned about what you did or didn't do or what you said or didn't say. Everyone else is going through it too. It's it's like simultaneously something that everyone is experiencing all the time anyway. So it's kind of just a thing that you have to learn how to manage internally that everyone else is also managing internally. I don't know if, did I take us way off script here? No, no, because well, we are going to be talking about that. <laughs> all right, so there is a cycle to in, imposter syndrome, the imposter cycle. Do we want to talk about that a little bit, like what, how it, it's cyclical and what, how it actually happens? Yeah, so this was, it was first described by uh, Dr. Pauline Clance, um, but it starts with, you know, an achievement-related task. So it's something you're given or, you know, if you're working for an employer or, you know, an achievement-related task. Is a in, promotion, a big success, something yes, like that. Yes, or even like an opportunity, like a webinar or something. Um, but it can lead to, you know, initial, so that's the first part, and then that can lead to like an initial like anxiety or worry about it, and then either procrastination or over-preparation, which we were just talking about. And then after you complete it, run the webinar or whatever it might be, you get this like initial sense of relief and accomplishment. But then if you get positive feedback, it's like discounted. Like, and then like you're, that doesn't reflect your true ability and it leads to self-doubt, feelings of being fraud, which can then lead to more anxiety and then more mental stress. And then it's kind of repeated with like a new task. But the issue also is any if you like overprepared, like that overworking can make someone feel like if they don't do that level of preparation, like we mentioned, that, you know, they're not going to get the same success. And so that can also increase like burnout and all of that. Too. All right. So I think an important thing to focus on with this cycle is the over preparation slash procrastination piece, because that is the biggest thing that ends up tripping people up. And I see it a lot. I am a YouTube creator outside of this podcast. I do some other things on YouTube, and I work and talk to a lot of other people who produce content for YouTube. And this over-preparation slash procrastination thing is actually hand-in-hand. Hand. People use over-preparation to procrastinate. Mm -hmm. So they go nuts preparing, they think they're never fully ready, and instead of actually doing the thing, making the video, creating whatever they're working on, actually finishing the project, they just keep preparing. They keep preparing and preparing, same thing for starting a business. There's a, probably a, a pretty good chance some people listening to this right now should have started their business a week, a month, six months ago, but they don't feel like they're ready. Mm -hmm. They haven't started yet because they feel they need to prepare still. Yeah. And it's the thing, it's what I tell every YouTuber who wants to be a, like someone who hasn't started their channel yet. It's like, just make the first video. Just get it done. It's going to suck. You're going to make a bunch of mistakes. <laughs> You'll learn along the way. The same thing applies with your business, your practice. Just take the first steps getting it going. Just start. The procrastination via over-preparation is a huge problem. And if you don't have a hard deadline, like your webinar, mm. or you know, you're seeing a client or something, you can end up in that stage of this cycle for a very, very long time. Yeah. And it's unfortunate. And with project-based stuff, where if you're like putting out a video, or you're writing a book, or you're, you know, doing you know a project, specifically a project. If you do that thing, there's where the relief comes, I guess, and then you get the feedback, yeah, which creates more doubt. And then when you go to do the next thing, the whole cycle starts all over again. Yeah. <laughs> and you either have this over-preparation standard where it's like, all right, I prepared for like X weeks or X months or did X hours of research for that last thing. I need to do that again, at least that, if not more. Mm -hmm. And it becomes a really big self-imposed hurdle. Yes. <laughs> so you end up being less productive and way too critical of yourself. Yeah. 
that's I think the important piece of this this cycle I think is that over preparation procrastination yes they're kind of the same yeah yeah because they the way that they it's like the over planning I was just actually talking to somebody about this yesterday with like over planning is that you you know keep planning and you almost feel like you feel like you're doing something because you're planning <laughs> yeah, you're, you're you're being productive but it's creative avoidance of the important things that you need to do exactly yeah we're not actually really putting something out there, you know, and, and doing the thing, like starting the private practice. That's actually one of the bigger ones I hear too, but it could be something, you know, scary that you haven't done before, like creating a video and put yourself out there. What if people make fun of me? What if I don't say the right thing? It's like, you know. You know, what's interesting about this is that for both of us independently, this has been a serious focus on like self-improvement for both of us. You have a tattoo on your arm. Yes. What does it say? Do you remember what it says? <laughs> I don't what it's, it says I something. What it says. It's something along the lines of the thing we fear doing most is the thing we should should do first, or something, yeah. or something like that. Yeah, it's a quote. <laughs> I think it's is it from like a Tim Ferriss book. It is from a Tim Ferriss book. Okay, yeah. and mm-hmm. ironically, from a separate Tim Ferriss book, he <laughs> talked about um, uh, knowing yourself and understanding yourself and understanding that you're your biggest enemy, you're your own worst enemy. Like figuring things out for yourself and and being attuned to this sort of thing. And I have across my back tattooed Know Thyself Mm -hmm. in Greek from another Tim Ferriss book. Tim Ferriss, a big influence for the two of us. But, you know, being in touch with your own inner demons and getting things done anyway is so important, so pivotal that apparently both of us felt the need to tattoo it onto our bodies permanently one way or another. But that's an interesting piece of that. It's, uh, It's all about kind of managing yourself and your... Your own mind, your own inner demons, because yeah. it all—it's mostly coming from you. No one is holding you to the standard that you are probably holding yourself to. No, here we. So, all right, let's. Um, what about the uh, some of the the other stuff we wanted to get into? Talk about causes. Yeah. Factors. So, um, some people experience it. Some people don't. Oh, I remembered. It's uh, what we what we fear doing most is the thing we most need to do. Something yeah. like that. Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> sounds right. Um, all right. So, other but, factors we want to talk about. Yeah, so there could be cause. I mean, some people think like, why do I have imposter syndrome and why do others not? Um, And I was actually reading a few studies and one of them from the International Journal of Behavior Science said that about 70% of people will experience at least one episode of imposter phenomenon is what they call it. So it's pretty common. So it's pretty common. The majority of people experience it. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much the majority of people. Um, But it could be relating to like stemming from other issues like perfectionism, you know, where you set impossible standards for yourself and then you feel like a failure for not achieving those unreasonable goals that you've set for yourself, which is very funny what I always talk about with my clients about setting reasonable goals. But then when you think about it, like professionally, it's something to also keep in mind for yourself. Yeah. Perfectionism is one of those big things that a lot of people have done a lot of study on in terms of like how it keeps you from doing anything. Like if you Mm -hmm. can't do the perfect thing, you end up doing nothing or it makes you less productive because you're striving for a, a level of achievement that is basically unrealistic or sometimes impossible. Yeah. Like perfectionism ties right into what you help people with as a dietitian. Yes. <laughs> because they, you know, want, they, they make the plan. They're like, okay, I'm going to eat nothing but grilled chicken and broccoli for the next week. And of course they fail because it was too high of a standard. Yeah. Why would you think that you could do that? Yeah. Or someone starting from like being completely sedentary to like, I'm going to exercise seven days a week with all intentions. They feel like that's going to be reasonable for them as a goal. But then, you know, 
It's not. <laughs> so it's, you know, setting up and it's not to say they'll never get to seven days a week. It's just that as a starting point is kind of setting themselves up to um, be in an unrealistic position. Yep. But, um, family yeah. environment? Family environment. So like sometimes with people who have like gifted siblings, they might feel inadequate or perfectionist parents or lack of positive reinforcement. And that's, you know, not necessarily something that I dive into you know, per se, because that would be more in like the line of like a therapist, but that could be another thing that contributes to imposter syndrome. Um, any kind of like psychological distress too is something else I came across with like someone who might be living with anxiety or depression that can also trigger more imposter syndrome too. So any other kind of like psychological conditions, um, and then certain, certain ethnic groups, um, marginalized populations can also be more at risk for discrimination, which can then also feed into imposter syndrome. So there's you know, a lot of layers. Well, there's some stuff I've seen about that. I don't have any kind of hard evidence. I don't know the specific studies, but I've seen things about how um, certain racial minority groups go in with like standardized testing and get lower grades when it's brought to their attention that they're a minority racial group. Whereas on a more neutral like racial, racially neutral environment where it's not noted, where it's not brought to their attention, they do better. Mm. I've seen the weird stuff about that. We yeah, like so the marginalized populations thing. That's interesting. And there's you know all kinds of social perceptions and stereotypes about certain people in certain environments. Uh, women have had to face discrimination for you know decades, centuries. I don't know forever. Mm. Basically, in a professional environment, we're just now kind of bridging the gap of women having equal rights in the workplace, kind of. I don't think we're there yet. But, you know, there's all kinds of stuff with with marginalized groups, um, and sp especially in the United States with, mm -hmm. um, with like, uh, minority racial groups. I don't want to get political or anything like that and piss people off. I probably already have whatever. Um, yeah, that's definitely a, a massive factor and something that's an uphill battle for certain groups of people. Yeah, and that's something, you know, again, where someone might, you know, where they might not have felt imposter syndrome before, a new opportunity can really then trigger it. So it, it's not like you have to meet a certain criteria to all of a sudden have imposter syndrome because, again, you know, said recently that 70% of people will experience at least one, you know, time of having imposter syndrome, and that's just, you know, once. <laughs> all right, so do you want to talk about the more um, kind of su substantial negative effects? Yeah, so, I mean... Having a little bit of self-doubt is normal and... Probably healthy even. Yeah, probably healthy. Um, but it can become an issue when it grows to a point where it impacts your action. So either leading to inaction or like we talked about, like over-preparation and not actually doing something, but like reading all the business books, but not actually starting your own business. That is so unbelievably <laughs> common. I know. Every, every watching every YouTube video, reading every book, waiting for that magical piece of information that's going to flip the switch or press the easy button for you. Same thing happens with diet. Yeah. Where you're, you never feel like you're ready because you don't know literally every piece of information. And then it promotes an action. Yeah. It's, it's a huge deal. All right. What else are we talking about? Burnout? Burn. Leading to burnout? Yeah. So, like, that goes into leads in, that can be caused by the over preparation, like setting yourself up to that, like two, I have a standard or that you had to put in 16 hours of work for this thing. So when you do it again, you have to put in 16 hours again. And so uh, that can feel super daunting too. going through it once and then knowing you have to do it again. And then you feel like you need to be to put yourself through the same standards. Yeah. So it, it could be, it can become extremely daunting to move on to the next project or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that can be a huge mental handicap. 
Yeah. And then that can lead to like job dissatisfaction too. Um, or someone might not feel challenged at work and then, but they feel the imposter syndrome. And so they might not seek like career advancement or, you know, like another position because they don't feel like they can do it. They have that imposter syndrome. So that can then lead to even more feelings of burnout and dissatisfaction in a workplace too. So they can be unchallenged by their current position, but simultaneously feel as though they, though they don't deserve it to begin with. Yeah. So then they never seek career advancement or, or career professional growth because of that sort of weird stagnation where they're simultaneously too good at the job, but also feel like they don't deserve it at the same time. Yeah. That is a bizarre trap to be in. Yeah. You know, I've, I need more experience. I need to do this or I'm not qualified enough. And it's just, again, kind of leading into that whole, it's like self-sabotage, um, you know, but the, the fear, fear of failure too, you know, kind of leads into it with the self-doubt. And um, and then, you know, we mentioned that with um, imposter syndrome, that that can also kind of co-occur with like anxiety and depression, um, but also can lead to more anxiety and depression. So there's obviously a huge issue in terms of like mental health, um, you know, emotional exhaustion, um, just like unhappiness overall. Um, so that's a lot of negative mental effects as well. Yeah, I, I experienced quite a bit of that in in, uh, in my last position too. And it's it's really easy. It's a really easy trap to fall into when, especially if you do, if you really are in over your head and you're trying to level with it, and, uh, you know, going over all the things that you don't know, when in fact, there's probably more that you do know that's relevant. Yeah, it's, it's just you're overcritical. You, you make yourself feel guilty and you, you put yourself through the ringer emotionally. And it's it's mostly about you doing things to yourself. <laughs> yeah. All of this stuff is kind of self-perpetuated. These are all different and very likely possible and real effects. But a lot of it is th- thematically, it's you in your own head. It's exactly. Basically, self-sabotage, <laughs> guilting yourself, creating psychological distress for yourself, not seeking help when you should, when probably there's a lot of people willing to help you. Yeah. Usually that's the case. A lot of this is kind of self-inflicted. And grappling with it and, and managing it is, is mostly about knowing yourself and how to kind of deal with yourself. It sounds really weird, but I think it's, what is it, intrapersonal? Yes. Communication. Yeah. How you talk to yourself, how you handle yourself. Mm-hmm. Everyone does that. Everyone has an internal dialogue. And learning how to control and use that internal dialogue to benefit you is absolutely key to avoiding things like imposter syndrome. This is by no means the only form of self-sabotage that people go through, but yeah. <laughs> it's probably the biggest one, I think. Mm-hmm. It's one that I've certainly experienced quite a bit, and you have as well. Probably most dietitians trying to enter private practice feel this at some point. Yeah. Why me? Why am I good enough to do this? Where do I get off? You know, one thing that's nice about starting things when you're younger is you're a lot less likely to feel this. I could see this being a lot harder for someone who's much later on in life Mm. trying to turn around and do this because you end up being kind of more cynical and critical of yourself, and you're kind of jaded on your your own capabilities as you get older. I know I was in my 30s versus like my 20s mm-hmm. where I was sort of like, you know, one thing about being in, being you're like, you know, maybe some people listening to this are, are in their teens and 20s. One thing that's great about being that young is you don't know anything. So when you, <laughs> when, when you don't know that much, that's actually a strength because what that allows you to do is just throw yourself at things, not realizing there's so much that you don't know, but then you learn so much so quickly. 
Whereas if you get older, you, you think more about the things that you don't know and you know more about what you don't know and you get in your own way more. That's true. The more you like, as you know, it's like with nutrition, there's so much to learn about nutrition. And it's like the more at some points I'm like thinking to myself, I feel like I don't know anything because you get so deep into all the little intricacies. Which is an absurd <laughs> thing for you to say as someone with a master's degree and like, you know, so much experience. It's ridiculous, but mm-hmm. that is something that's very real. Yeah. Or even like, you know, I've been in private practice now for seven years, seven years, six years, something like that. Um, and, you know, there's still stuff that I'm learning that I would have never known that I needed to know when I first started. So no matter how much I would have prepared, I'd, you know, you never know what situation you're going to end up in. And I'm still learning things. But then there's that little seed of doubt when that happens where I learn something that I'm like, oh, I need to be doing this. Or, oh, I didn't know this. Or, you know, I need to consider this or change this. That it's like, what am I doing? Should I be in, you know, do I know anything? And it's, you know, this whole cycle and you have to like stop yourself mentally. Be like, hold on for a second. Reel back in. Um, and that's where, you know, we're going to talk about management about it, but that's can be. This is one of the things that, you know, there are really, really young, like early 20s tech CEOs that have like, you know, a business that's worth millions of dollars. And you wonder how these such young people have gone through and achieved so much. A lot of it has to do with they're not one of the people that felt this, mm-hmm. you know, or they got really good at handling this right away. The thing I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit hyper-focused on age here and in my brain a little bit for this because I feel like this is something that older people experience at a, at a greater proportion than younger people. And, you know, it just, I think that plays into it a little bit where like the more you learn, like you just said, the more you know, the more you realize you don't know, mm-hmm. but you shouldn't let that stop you. Because you don't need to know that much about most things to actually get things done. Yeah. And it's, I think, more important to know how to research the answer than it is to actually know the answer. Yeah. These that's, days. that's really, it's funny because when I first started counseling, you know, when you first start counseling, when you finish your internship, it's a lot to do it by yourself because you don't, most internships that, you know, you might get some practice, but someone's watching and supervising. So there's, you know, a lot of handholding to say the least, which is what needs to happen in an internship. Um, but when I first started counseling by myself, it was like the over preparation with 15 handouts because I was like, I feel like people are going to ask me something I didn't know. And most of the time people were just like, what's a carbohydrate? You know, like the very basics. That's most of the questions for most things. Yeah. And it's like, even the most complex, they were like, I know you don't, maybe don't know this. And so it was like, there was no expectation half the time because they were, they were more so looking for me as the expert to find the information that I knew was credible and provided to them than for me to know it in the moment. Yeah. And a lot of ways, your expertise and your experience lends credence to your ability to curate information rather than produce it on the spot. Yeah. You're going to be a lot better at recognizing accurate information about things, or at the very least, people know. You're an expert, you're credentialed, you have all this experience. They want to know your thoughts about something often. Mm -hmm. Even if it's not concrete, 100% factually based, they find value in what you think or how you feel about something. As the dietitian, if you're, say, going into practice, but you're feeling this, it's like, well, you know, you know more about this than you think you do because your standard of what there is to know, you know, you don't, if you're, if you're listening to this and you have, you know, your RD already, or you are in school and you're about to finish your program for dietetics, you've just spent how many years focusing on this? Mm -hmm. Someone who has no experience with this stuff knows, but a very, very small fraction 
of what you know, regardless of the fact that, you know, hypothetically, let's say there's a billion things to know <laughs> in nutrition. Most people know 10 yeah. or 20. Mm-hmm. You know 10,000. Sure, the sky is the limit for the things that you don't know, but the things that you do know are so much more in quantity than the average person, and you don't need to know that much to be perceived as an expert and to be able to offer help. Yes. One of the things that, you know, we were just talking about Tim Ferriss, one of his sage pieces of advice when you're looking to become an expert and create, like, information products, it was in one of his first books, 4-Hour Workweek, a great read. If, if you're interested on being more productive and starting a business, it's a good read. It's a little bit dated these days. But one of the things that he says is, if you read three books on one subject, you now know more about that subject than like 80% of the world's population. You're basically an expert <laughs> compared to anybody else. And I'm, I'm not saying you need to read three books about nutrition to become a dietitian. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, if you have a degree and a credential that's you know, regulated by a regulatory body that focuses on this stuff. And then, you know, you went to college for it. It's a lot more than three books. Yes. You know, more than 99% of people about this. Yeah. And the 1% that know more than you did what you did. And then a little more. Mm -hmm. So it's not that big of a deal that you don't know everything. Yes. You know way more (laughs) than most people. Yeah. All right. How do we deal with imposter syndrome? How do you manage it? So the first is honestly, you have to acknowledge that. (laughs) Acknowledge, acknowledge what you're feeling. And sometimes this could be helpful to like say it out loud or write it down. Like I've, we've talked about this before. Like I have a business journal. Um, and so I write down like things that happen in practice, you know, planning. And we talked about that on the last podcast, but, um, sometimes like writing it out on paper, um, can kind of minimize the power that you might be and like really kind of be more objective about it. And then you can kind of challenge the negative thought you might have, you know, is this reality or is this my perception, you know? And so being able to sometimes like put it on paper for me is helpful um, to just kind of like look at the words and then be like, okay, what am I actually? <laughs> so <laughs> acknowledging is- that you're experiencing po- imposter syndrome, like I think knowing about this is like half the battle. Yeah. Really understanding that this is a thing that you're experiencing and not just your organic experience that only you are feeling yes. is a big deal. So uh, acknowledging it. Acknowledging and, th- and then what challenging it we talked about. Yeah. And that, that comes in a couple of ways, which we'll talk about in a second, but um, talking about it helps a lot too. So like with mentoring, you know, talking to somebody about it. I was just talking to somebody yesterday and I said, I still feel the imposter syndrome. And they're like, oh, I wouldn't have expected that. And so sometimes being able to just talk with other dietitians, other interns, depending on where you are, um, you know, or others in your field and know that other people are experiencing it too and, you know, see what has helped them. Because it's not something that will go away that you won't ever experience again. It's more of acknowledging it and knowing how to manage it best for you in those situations. So being able to like talk to somebody about it, like a peer, a mentor, someone that's going through the same thing, another dietitian in private practice, it makes you feel like not so alone. Um, And not for anything, we've talked about networking a whole bunch in previous podcasts and not viewing other dietitians as your competition you're all kind of on the same team instead, and you are you are colleagues. This is another reason for that. Connecting with other dietitians, talking to them about this stuff, it can make it more manageable for not just you, but also them too. And you guys can help each other. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I mentioned, we were just talking about like challenging it. And, you know, that can come along with also working maybe with a professional, depending on how serious it is too, like a therapist, you know, someone to 
actively help you with, you know, what's called cognitive restructuring, if you ever heard of that, but it's basically like countering your negative thoughts with more positive ones. So I've um, heard that described as reframing. Yes, that's another. So you reframe. So there's reframing the negative thoughts into like a learning opportunity. So, you know, if something, something positive. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so sometimes I actually do this with clients with like, if they start to feel really negative about their progress with nutrition is to identify like five positives that they've accomplished. And sometimes that can like just kind of stop the negative spiral that can occur. Um, but sometimes that involves also not just talking to, you know, another peer, but maybe also like a therapist, depending on, you know, root cause and severity and all of that. So, um, you know, again, having some doubt is normal, but it becomes an issue when it's growing to a point where it's like really impacting your day to day. So um, tracking your success is another way to like being able to look back on your achievements of what you've accomplished. And then, you know, a lot of that can alone, that alone can kind of counter any doubt you have of yourself. If other people have recognized you and or you've had successes that are impossible to ignore, it's like, all right, clearly I'm not an imposter if this is what I've achieved so far. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I'm in the right place. Yeah. And that's, that's part of it. Yeah, like the tracking piece. And that can look like a lot of things. Like sometimes I'll track like the positive feedback I got from a seminar or I'll, you know, I track the things that are happening in my practice, what I've been accomplishing, like some wins for the week. And there's a couple of dietitian groups that I've been that um, they do like a win Monday or something like that where it's, you know, a way to like share your accomplishments. And even like when you're thinking about like, what can I, what did I do this week that was great? And even the simplest thing, sometimes it's that little like I was, I, I was talking about subscribers and just like that little nugget of information just also created some positivity in You're my mind. You're talking about subscribers? Oh, I was... Like for YouTube? Yeah, I was just talking about how like channel growth. Oh, the channel's actually exciting. seeing some growth. <laughs> yeah, thanks if you've subscribed to the YouTube channel. Big, big thank you. Um, but yeah, like being able to just put it on a paper, share it with somebody else, sometimes that can help. But being able to go back and actually look at what you've accomplished... Um, you know, recognize those, um, those wins. Those little wins. Yeah. Okay. So what about recognizing expertise? What do you have for that? So that's a big one where we were just talking about like the education and all of the certifications and everything like that. And so sometimes, you know, you know, you forget all of the hard work that went into. You forget you have a degree and a credential and all that stuff. Yeah. Like, cause you get into the cycle of it. And at least I do this a lot too, is, you know, what do I know? You know, I don't know enough. And then you think back, okay, I did this class, you know, in undergrad for dietetics, you're doing things, you're taking classes like chemistry and biology, and then also obviously your core nutrition classes, counseling classes. And of course, there's always more to learn, but there's this huge foundation that you came from. And then many people have their master's now, and then also uh, specialty certifications and that sometimes being able to say like, I went through a six month program on top of being a dietitian and Again, just recognizing those accomplishments and all the time and effort that went into where you are now is a really important piece. So I think sometimes just going back and reminding yourself of all those things. Like I was just looking at transcripts yesterday for some other reason. And I was like, oh, I forgot I took classes like that, which again, you just, you don't think about it, but that adds that expertise, which again, you are a professional, you know, <laughs> you know what you're doing. <laughs> so, all right. So you've talked about how you experienced this yourself and you've dealt with it yourself. What strategies do you most often use to deal with this? 
So absolutely the journaling piece. Um, and this was actually really helpful when I first started my practice, which is actually why I just kind of started doing it. Um, you know, I talked about like what were my wins for the week, what things I wanted to focus on next and anything that was like negative, like that didn't go well. I like reframed as to what I could have done differently. And so it was like a more of an action item versus kind of staying in this negative cycle of, you know, the things I did wrong, you know, to say the least. So being able to like put an action item on it to say, okay, this didn't go the way I planned instead of harboring over that and saying, I don't know what I'm doing. I instead started to focus on what can I do next time? And so like sometimes just like dumping that down on paper um, and then talking to people. So like talking to you half the time, uh, significant other, you know, being able, someone who can just kind of like give you a little shake sometimes to say, you know, hey, this is. Yeah, we've had those talks. <laughs> do the thing. Why not you? You say that a lot. Um, that always resonates with me. Like, Somebody's got to do it. Yeah. Why not you? Yeah. I say that to myself a lot, especially with like topics. Like I just sent in a proposal for a, a webinar that is a topic that I feel very passionate about. And I've done some research in, but then I'm like, should I talk on this? Am I the right person? But it's like, no one else has. And you know, why not me? Because I know that I'll put in the effort for it. And I know that someone has to start for it. Every amazing achievement has been achieved by a person. You are a person. You are capable of making those achievements yourself. There's nothing special or inherently magical about any one person. You're all, we're all human. Everyone is made up of, of DNA and bacteria and <laughs> what else. But you're, you have a brain, you know, and you have hands, like you have eyes. You, you have all the hardware and software of, of any other human. Mm -hmm. You are more than capable. You are your own worst enemy. You have to push yourself. Mm -hmm. and and wrestle with that yeah stop getting in your own way <laughs> just do the thing yes you know yeah so those are the two big ones the other one too actually which just recently I realized that this actually helps is um, working with interns so being a preceptor or working with like other dietitians um, as like a mentor but especially working with students um I just recently had a new um, intern that onboarded with me and just being able to like share, you know, where I'm at in private practice, share some information, just someone else absorbing that from me. You know, again, I don't know everything, but that experience of teaching somebody else reminds me of like how much I know and that can really help too. So it also helps you to learn things better when you teach it to others. Very true. <laughs> so that's, that's another thing too, is if you can give back you know, with mentoring, um, precepting for dietetic interns in particular, especially those in like their, um, you know, rotations that might be distance, uh, those, they have to usually set up their own rotations. And so, um, being able to be there as a, a preceptor can be really helpful and to share that experience with somebody. So, um, and guide them and let them know that this is a thing and that it's okay that they don't know everything because I often hear that from interns, like, I don't feel like they know enough. So when they're getting ready to sit for their you know, dietitian exams it for the boards and then they're a dietitian and they're like, okay, I'm ready to get started. Now what, you know, being able to acknowledge that and talk them through that imposter syndrome. And, you know, again, if you don't know something, there's no, like learning it is a part of growth and professional development too. So, um, so yeah, those are, I would say the three things then, <laughs> the biggest ones. There's a couple things for me that really help with this. One is the, uh, the mantra, the saying, I don't know where it came from specifically, but, um, 
finished is better than perfect. So, you know, it's better if something is done because if it's, it's never going to be perfect. You know, done is the best thing, is the best a thing can be. Finished. You know, get the thing done. Mm. And then also um, in terms of like project-based stuff or like, you know, where you're the expert, if you're doing a project, if you're writing something, you're putting something together, a webinar, whatever, I think if you have any kind of things that you're not sure about and it would take a little effort to become sure of them, just do that. You know, like answer your own questions. Mm -hmm. Like if you're not sure about something and you have a question about it and you're able to get the answer before the thing is done, do that. It gives you a little bit of confidence in yourself, I think, when you're able to answer answer those questions for yourself, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. That might not be applicable to everything. But if you're writing and you're not sure if something should be included or if something is important, digging into that one thing a little bit, figuring it out and be like, all right, now I know. Yeah. It kind of reinforces you as the expert in your own brain. I That's think true. that's helps for me. Any any parting words of encouragement for dealing with imposter syndrome? Um, I would say parting words would be that everyone, everyone, most people experience this. <laughs> and so you're not alone in feeling the imposter syndrome. It's the what you do with it then to keep yourself moving forward and not stuck in this cycle. So identify something that'll work for you. And it could be a lot of different tools. Like I mentioned journaling, but talking to people but being able to find, I like, I don't know who coined this either, but like find your tribe. I like that saying, being able to connect with other dietitians or other people that are in your um, field, your professional field um, can be really helpful. But again, you got to kind of find what's going to work for you. And sometimes that is, you know, again, journaling, working with a therapist and also having this support of, you know, people in your field. And sometimes it's, you know, people can deal with it in other ways, you know, with, with maybe just talking about it or acknowledging it or saying it out loud. So I think that's the most important thing is to identify, acknowledge it, acknowledge that a lot of people experience it, and then what will help you to move forward and through it. Oh, gosh. I know what you're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> Wherever you go, there you are. I think I did this. This is my fault, actually. <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> And other platitudes. In all seriousness, you are just as capable as anyone else of getting things done, making big stuff happen. Got to go out there and get it, though. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. All right, cool. Well, I hope this has been helpful and useful for anyone looking to start their own private practice or any venture. Imposter syndrome is a serious thing that we're all dealing with, so we're all in this together. By all means, any questions, comments, concerns, uh, leave them in the comments section on YouTube. If you're watching on YouTube, by all means, too, um, help us out. Give us a rating on uh, iTunes or wherever you're listening to this. Mm -hmm. It would really help out a lot. Any feedback is always welcome. But that is going to do it for us here at the My Dietitian Journey podcast. Um, Notes and all relevant links will be in the description or show notes. Please do give that a look if you'd like to see any resources that we have to provide on this officially. But that's going to do it for us. Thanks so much for being with us.